Hey Church of the Beloved, thanks for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zoe and I'm the production manager here at COTV. Today's message is brought to us by Pastor Abe Lee. He is preaching from Exodus chapter 40, verse 34, through Leviticus chapter 1, verse 2. So it's been a minute since I've been up here to preach. Um, it's, it's good to be back. Um, and this is in my schedule for preaching just for uh, your all edification. It's going to change now that we have Pastor Clint taking on the reins as senior pastor. Uh, I, I will come once in a while, but it's, you're going to have a much better teaching coming forward. <laughs> but last month, let me tell you, last month we had our friend, uh, Pastor Ashanti. He helped us finish our sermon series. It was called Letters from a Friend. These were letters from Paul to different churches and different folks. And he actually, I was listening to him, uh, and he asked a question as to, and I'm going to answer you, Ashanti, if you're listening. Uh, no, I did not purposely have a black man preach about slavery, a letter about slavery. That's just God's grace and mercy stepping in. Um, we also had some amazing guest speakers, Pastor Ricky, Pastor Joyce. Uh, you know, they spoke some powerful messages. Uh, if you haven't listened to them, you can do what I did. I listened to the podcast, which we have online, or you can go to our YouTube channel. Uh, they're available there. Um, last week, uh, we didn't have a stream. We had our praise and prayer service, which I always love to be a part of. I shared this before, and let me share it again. Church of the Beloved, we exist to see the gospel transform people into spirit-filled disciples who know they are the beloved of God because of Christ alone. And we do our best we don't always succeed, but we do our best to try to live that out by being gospel-centered as a church. Uh, a gospel-centered church that's dependent on prayer, that's passionate about worship, that's uh, missional in our living, and that is very intentional about building relationships within our community. These are the things that we value. So last week's our praise and prayer uh, service, it, it's a time that we intentionally built in to build rhythms that will help us do just that together as a community. We're going to do that again today. Uh, uh, exercise one of those rhythms that we're starting to build up uh, by inducting five new members into this community, this body of believers, at the end of today's service. So hold your praise and cheers till then, but we're definitely going to want some of that. But today we start a new sermon series. Uh, this sermon series is going to take us into October. <clears throat> My message is going to be just an introduction, an overview. That's why we didn't have a scripture reading uh, but starting next week, Pastor Clinton and every once in a while, me as well, we're going to start diving deeper into this text. And this sermon series is on the book of Leviticus. We decided to call this sermon series Leviticus, the Blueprint of Redemption. And I'll be very honest with you all, I, I, the idea of doing a sermon series on Leviticus, it came to me at, really at the end of last year, started this year. So you cannot blame Pastor Clint for that one. He, he does, he's excited about it, but you know, it was my fault. <coughs> At the time, I really wanted us to get into the habit of, of, of being taught the entirety of Scripture, both the Old and the New Testament, because the Old and the New Testament together is the entirety of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ. But when I suggested this to the staff, there was a little pushback. Well, not pushback. Just one of them asked me, why? Why are we going to Leviticus? <clears throat> So I made a little video in June, right before I left for Africa, uh, about why we're doing this sermon series and, and to answer that question. And I guess um, that video never made it out, so it's hidden. Uh, so I decided what I'd do instead. I double-checked this morning, too. It's never made it out. Uh, 
Let me tell you what I said on that video. Now, when Suzanne and I, we bought our house in San Francisco, we received uh, blueprints of our house. See, we, we bought it right after it had been fully rehabbed, gutted to the studs. And so there was a very complete set of blueprints available to us, which was kind of cool. Uh, but for me, they were useless. I, I don't know how to read them. We love that house. Don't get me wrong. We still use that space, that completed post-blueprint space, and we use it to bless our friends who are actually renting it from us. But really, I had no need for those plans. I'm not like Aliana. I, I cannot read blueprints. It's like trying to read Russian. It would just be impossible for me. So, you know, I rolled them up. I put them in a, I bought a nice tube for them, and I put them in my office, just left it there. That was until I uh, had to buy insurance, house, home, for, home insurance. Um, and one of the questions that our adjuster asked was, it was our foundation or something, had it been reinforced for earthquakes, because now that's a thing in San Francisco. And of course, I have no idea. So I called a friend of ours, it was, and the friend asked, do you have your blueprints? I was like, oh yeah, I do. I was really excited. I, I have no reason to be excited except the fact that I had blueprints. And so I pulled them out, and our friend told us, yeah, you're all good. And I remember, here, here's the thing, I, the reason I'm telling you this story is this. When I needed to understand more about our house, our home, when I need to address a problem with our home, more often than not, I pull out those blueprints. I refer to the original plans of how our home was built. And, and see, the Old Testament here is the blueprint of our redemption by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the plan that God laid out since the beginning to, to lead us all closer to him. Now, sometimes we need a little help to fully understand those plans because they're not always understandable, but it is what God provided to us to show us the plan, his blueprint of redemption that was laid out before time even began. So this scripture, in its entirety, old and new, it is the gospel that we refer to as we continue to build up the temples of God that we, the beloved, are. You know, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? See, we, all of us, you and I, we are the temple where the spirit of God dwells. And these are the plans of how we are to be built up. Now, you might still ask, but why, why Leviticus, right? And I'll tell you, we chose to focus on Leviticus because of a, of a desire to preach the entirety of Scripture, both the old and the new. And we also want to, you know, just to know, we're going to strive to move back and forth between the Old and New Testament at Church of the Beloved. But we also want to focus on Leviticus because, you know, if you read through it, it's really a story of a holy and perfect and gracious God who, who lives among sinful and broken and unworthy people. It's a story of how our God made a way to, for his beloved to be with him, to dwell with him, have a relationship with him. When you look at Leviticus, Moses wrote the book of Leviticus to show the people of Israel how they might truly reflect God's character and live as image bearers of the king in heaven. And, and as we dive deeper into this ancient scroll, these original blueprints of God's temples, we're going to see the foreshadowing of a final scene. We're going to see how the original plans leads us to that act of Christ on the cross, the final sacrifice, Jesus' death and resurrection which perfectly completes what God had laid out thousands of years before, as we see 
we will see in Leviticus. And as we're going to remember today, as when we come together at the Lord's table for communion. That's why we decided to spend the next few months focused on this book, Leviticus. So what I want to do now is spend a bit of time preparing us to dive deeper by giving a bit of background about Leviticus. Now, we're going to do that by turning to the book right before Leviticus, which is Exodus. Let me explain. The first five books of the Old Testament is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. These first five, they're known as the Torah, right? And so I'm not going to lie. There was a moment where I was tempted to nerd out a little bit, and some of you might have enjoyed it, uh, just about the Torah, get into a little Hebrew, a little history. My original sermon notes, they included a lot of information about Jewish traditions uh, around the Torah and, you know, Hebrew words like Humash and Tanakh. I even consider adding a little Greek in there, I guess, let's talk about the Pentateuch. Uh, you know, I don't know if you knew this, I was reading and studying up on this. It turns out that, this is news to me, that these five books, the Torah, they are still maintained as sacred scrolls and kept in an ark in every synagogue. Uh, and they're pulled out every, uh, to, the, to be read to the congregation every Sabbath. It's a continuing tradition. But if I went deeper into that, I really wanted all these praise, praise reports. I, can't, I love being able to celebrate with everyone. So I thought praise reports of our beloved are much more important than a deep dive into Hebrew and Greek. So that's all the Hebrew and Greek I'm going to deal with today. Um, but what I do want to emphasize is this about the Torah. These are not five individual books or scrolls. They don't have, they have a linkage to each other. Leviticus does not stand alone. See, these are five intersecting scrolls. See, the stories and the writings of Genesis, Genesis reminds the reader that God has always been there from the beginning, before the beginning, and is different from every other type of God that man has tried to make. Genesis leads the reader into the miraculous recounting of the Israelites' exodus from Egypt, from slavery. And that exodus from Egypt leads us to Leviticus, where God instructs those to how they might draw closer, those who have been freed from exodus. How they might draw closer to the Father in heaven by moving towards ritual and moral holiness or purity. And that leads us to numbers. Now, in the Hebrew, the title of the book is actually uh, In the Desert Of. Right? Because it tells a story of the transformation from the grumblers of Exodus to the redeemed of Israel. And so, so Numbers leads us to, De to Deuteronomy because it talks of their transformation. And then Deuteronomy tells us, tells the story of Moses sending them off into the promised land. So these five books, the Torah, they're all intrinsically linked with each other. So in order to lay down the foundation of Leviticus, we need to turn back to Exodus. So... What I'm going to do is I want to spend a little bit of time reading. It's kind of a long passage. Uh, reading from Exodus chapter 40. And I want to start with verse 16, just so you know. And leading up to today's passage, God's given Moses some instructions. He's instructed Moses on how to set up the tabernacle, right? The place where God's going to dwell among the people of Israel. And Moses gets to work on doing that. Uh, and starting with verse 16, let's read that here. It says this. This Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded him, so he did. In the first month of the second year, in the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected, and Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid his bases, set up his frames, and put in his poles and raised up its pillars. And he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent over it, as the Lord had commanded Moses. 
He took the testimony, which is the Ten Commandments, he took the testimony and put it into the ark and put the poles of, on the ark and set the mercy seat above on the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen and screened the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he put the table in the tent of the meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil and he arranged the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tent of the meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the, tents, the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the golden altar in the tent of meeting before the veil and burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he put in place a screen for the door of the tabernacle and he set the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered on it the burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing which, with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. And when they went into the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. And so Moses finished the work. In verse 34, it says, And the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the because the clouds settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. I want you to imagine this. Imagine what was going through Moses' mind. Moses had now spent all this time getting everything set up, getting everything ready, as the Lord had commanded. He followed all the instructions, and then he couldn't go in. I mean, it's like planning your own wedding, but then not being able to go to it, but everybody else still shows up and has a party without you. And it's just... Moses, he washed his hands and his feet to be ritually pure so that he could do and move closer to God. He, he followed procedure. He did everything the Lord had commanded. He got everything set up. He made himself right before him to be able to enter into the presence of God. And then God shows up. And Moses was not able to enter. And brah. That's just, that's just wrong in so many ways in our mind. But then you, you read the start of Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. Moses can't enter where God dwells. But God still reaches out. See, Exodus is about God saving his chosen, his beloved, saving them from the bondage of slavery so that God might be their king, so that God might dwell in their midst. God wants to be with his beloved. That's why he gave all these instructions for the tabernacle in Exodus. These were his blueprints for his earthly home. They were a reflection, a, a microcosm of God's cosmic temple. This is what Exodus shows us. But then we have a problem. Because when God's presence entered into this, his dwelling place, when the cloud covered the tent and the glory of God filled the tabernacle, it became a no-go scenario in the tabernacle for, for all of humanity. Because entering into the presence of God who is holy and pure and perfect, entering into that presence when his beloved are, are sinful, broken, impure, God's holiness would have just melted them alive. So God speaks to the people of Israel through Moses from 
the tent. They're outside. In the book of Leviticus, it is God's guide. It is God's directions on how Israel might be made ritually holy, ritually pure, as they strive to be morally holy so that they might enter into God's presence because God wants them near. As we're going to read through this book, this scroll together, you're going to be introduced to a lot of different ideas. You know, the first few chapters of this book explains what the different sacrifices were that the Israelites had to offer, to address their sinfulness, to, to enable them to worship and to approach the king of heaven. You know, chapters 8 through 10, it provides details of what the priests needed to be like, what they needed to look like, their character. You know, as they were called to intercede and to lead the Israelites to right worship of the kings. In Leviticus, it provides instructions and laws on how to deal with impurity and how, you know, it actually, it also talks about how to party. Um, some of the sacrifices, if you read through them, they're like barbecues. Right? They would come together and everyone would, they would worship God and then just eat all the food. That God says, you have to eat all the food or I'm going to punish you. So that's what our family dinners, which are every second Sunday. Next week, we have family dinners in all the communities. You have to eat all the food. Bring all the food and eat all the food together or we're going to punish you. Um, we want to call you to party together, to live in community as a holy nation set apart as a kingdom of priests. And at the heart of it all is this truth. God wants to be with his people, with his beloved, and he's providing them the means by which they can be with him. That's what Leviticus is about. You know, we chose to focus on the Old Testament, specifically Leviticus, because it's really part of the blueprint of our redemption. It is God's desire to dwell with his beloved. Leviticus provides a view into what, is required, what was required then so that we can better understand what God asks us, of us now. That's why Leviticus. But I know that Leviticus gets a bad rap. Uh, Isaac might not agree, but to be honest, it's a boring book. Leviticus is boring. Now, I'll tell you the truth. If I've done my job well right now, what I've described to you, I think probably doesn't sound too bad, doesn't sound too boring, because my job is partly to help the Bible come to life. But unfortunately, when you actually read this book, the delivery of everything I've presented in Leviticus, it's, it's hard because it's a, it's a text, it's a law book. Now, no shame or no, uh, not trying to make fun of our lawyers or even doctors, you know, as a non-lawyer and a non-doctor, me, the idea of reading one of your textbooks just makes my eyes roll into the back of my head, you know. I've never read one. Maybe they're interesting. I don't know. But if you think about it, that's what Leviticus is. It's, it's a law book, law textbook. It's Storybooks like Genesis and Exodus, you know, those are easy to read. I can do that all day long. Think about it. I mean, this is why everyone or almost everyone seems to love K-dramas. It's because they know how to tell stories well. You know, you've got your plot, you've got your tension, which oftentimes is just weird tension, and then you have the plot that unfolds, and there's always drama somewhere involved in those K-dramas or C-dramas or whatever drama. Um, but reading and getting into what is essentially a law textbook, <laughs> not so interesting. And you add to that that we don't necessarily always understand the context around why these laws were given. And add to that the fact that many people, including Christians, view law as a bad thing. It's a bad word. You know, law equals legalism, and legalism replaces grace, so we have to avoid the law. All these factors leads many to avoid this book. I mean, Leviticus is often blamed for being the reason why people stop reading when they try to read the Bible in a year. They're like, oh, I got to Leviticus. I just can't do it anymore because it's boring. Um, Clint and I, along with Derek 
Kaki and Michael Morgan, we meet monthly now to train up, uh, to potentially serve together as an elder team for this church. And we just met this past weekend. The topic we discussed was this concept of what's called costly versus cheap grace. It's based on a book written by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's called The Cost of Discipleship. And as I was reading it and preparing for myself, there's a concept that this book spells out that I found challenging. It's so true. He wrote this, only one who believes is obedient, and only one who is obedient believes. See, our love for Jesus leads us to an obedience of his commands, and our obedience is evidence of our belief. And at the heart of this is the reality that this obedience is only by his grace and power and mercy. It's not my ability that does allows me to obey. But at the same time, it is my decision to obey. My obedience to Christ, it shows my belief in Christ, and my belief in Christ allows me to be obedient to my Savior. In the book of Leviticus, the Old Testament as a whole, reading this, learning this, it brings us all to a better understanding of what it is Christ calls us to obey and to believe. See, if you think about and consider all the instructions that Jesus gave when he was speaking to the masses, you know, the quotes that he gives, the instructions that he uh, pulls out, they all came from the Old Testament. They came from Genesis. They came from Leviticus. They come from Deuteronomy, Hosea, Isaiah. Only one who believes is obedient, and only one who is obedient believes, and the Old Testament gives us the same foundation that Jesus Christ pointed to over and over again of what we are called to believe and what we are called to obey. I know this book is challenging for some. I know it's boring for some. And it seems to some that not to be very grace-focused at all. But as we spend time looking at and understanding the law, being presented, I want you to think this. Think of this. The law that is spelled out by God through Moses, it is after the exodus from Egypt. See, the law was never a precondition to redemption or salvation. The law was always and will always be a gift from God to help and guide all of us, them and us, in what it means to live as a kingdom of priests, as a holy nation that's been set apart. And so our obedience to God, it flows from God's already given grace. In the Old Testament, it is not free of God's grace. It is dripping with God's grace. See, the law was given to the redeemed not to be redeemed, but to show them how to live in their redemption. So the obedience to the law is our expression of God's grace. The Israelites understood this. They did. If you look at Psalm 119, it is the longest psalm in the Bible, and it is full of a celebration of God's law. Psalm 119, verse 20 says this, My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Verse 24 says, Your testimonies are my delight. Your Ten Commandments are my delight. They are my counselors. See, Leviticus is part of the law that the psalmist longed for and that they found delight in. And that's what we're called to as well. See, Leviticus is a book that provides the Israelites and ultimately it provides us as well an understanding of how important it is that we come to God as holy because God is holy. And these are the steps God provided to draw his beloved to himself at the time. And these are the steps that explain why Jesus had to give his life, why he had to spill his blood, why he had to break his body 
why he did this, so that we wouldn't have to. And over the next few months, Clint and sometimes me as well, we're going to be helping you understand the context and potentially see the linkage between the original blueprints of the Old Testament and the work of Christ and to us as God's completed temples. Because ultimately, here's the thing, we want to get to where Moses was at the start of the next book in the Torah. If you turn to Numbers chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, simply the first sentence. The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting. No longer outside, but together inside. Thanks for tuning in to this week's COTV Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us, you can visit us online at cotv.life. God bless and have a great week.